0: Welcome to another episode of The Examined Athlete. My name is Clay Reichenbach. Today, my guest is Roderick Newhouse. Rod is a wealth manager at 44 Management, where he focuses on managing wealth for private clients, concentrating largely on sports and entertainment professionals. Prior to starting his wealth management firm, Rod held multiple positions in NFL front offices, including the Arizona Cardinals. In addition to being a successful athlete himself, Rod is the son of former Dallas Cowboy great Robert Newhouse. And man, I had a ton of fun talking to Rod. We hit it off right away. He's a smart guy. He's a disciplined guy. He's a competitor. And I think it really shows in the way he communicates. Rod and I discussed the financial challenges that young athletes face, the challenges he faces as an advisor, and exchange stories of what it was like growing up with a father famous for the sport you pursued, something Rod and I both experienced. Rod, I thank you for your wisdom. I thank you for your insight and counsel. And more than anything, I thank you for your kindness. I appreciate you coming on to share your expertise. But more than that, I appreciate your willingness to share some stories about your father and allow me to share some stories about my father. Ladies and gentlemen, the powerful Roderick Newhouse.
1: All right. (laughs) Good deal, man. Thanks for joining me on the short notice here.
2: No, not a problem. I appreciate
1: it. Good to put the face to the name. Well, Let's get into it, Rod, man. Uh, Thanks for joining me. Welcome. I think this is going to be a lot of fun. I wanted to start this. I didn't tell you I was going to do this, Rod, but I want to start this, if you will, by sharing some stories with you. Maybe we can exchange some stories. We have some parallels in our life, so I'd like to exchange some stories about our relationships and experiences with our fathers. My father holds a special place in my heart. I know the same is true to you for you. And specifically about growing up with a dad that was famous for the sport we were pursuing. While my dad was not as famous as yours, he was an All-American at the University of Texas. He was the most valuable player on a national championship team. He played pro ball. And growing up in Austin like I did, he was extremely well-known in baseball circles. Anytime we went to a tryout, anytime we went to a baseball game, people wanted to talk to dad. And I want to share some stories and see if you'll share some with me, starting with just the good memories you out chasing your passion with your dad. What are the memories you hold most dear? I'll do that kind of a couple
2: steps here. Younger was really after the football game, walking down the steps and jumping over the, the railing, I guess we'd call it the wall and walking up the tunnel with my dad to the locker room. That was very special to me. I would say there was a time, and we might get into this, that the teenage years were probably a little awkward because I was trying to find my own identity. But I can definitely say as I got older and now, the memories of the wisdom that was passed down. You know, the things that he was telling you kind of in those teenage years that you didn't really pick up because it was that weird stage. But as you got older, you're like, man, he was right. Man, that was kind of wise what he was saying. So. Those are the memories I cherish right now.
1: I think it's interesting for me. It's the off-field things also. My dad is still alive. He's the most humble, supportive man I've ever met. And maybe your dad was the same, but he could care less whether I played baseball. It just so happened that I choose to, to pursue baseball. But if I wanted to dance or act or be a scientist, he would have supported me in that. But he also supported me in baseball. And My memories are of going to the cage with dad. I can remember my dad worked in a warehouse all his life and he would come home five 5 45 and nearly every day, no exaggeration. I'm sitting on a bucket of balls waiting for him to go throw batting practice to me. And almost every day he would say the same thing. He'd go, son, let me rest my eyes for 15 minutes. And he'd go sit down in the lazy boy and he would lean, lean it back, close his eyes. And what would I do? the little, a-hole kid I was, I'd watch the clock tick, 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 and as soon as it hit 15 minutes, I'd go shake him and I'd say, Dad, you promised, you promised, and he would get up every time. He would get up every time and now that I'm a dad and I'm working and know how worn out you are, I, those are the memories I hold most dear for sure. You know, To
2: touch on what you said about your dad not necessarily wanting you to follow in his footsteps from the sports side of it, or not needing to, I really got messed up in college at Rice. My dad looked at me one day and he said, son, you're too smart to play football. And I didn't understand that at the time. I thought I was like, what, I'm no good? And you told me I need to go in a different direction. But I now understand what he means now that I'm past the playing stages of the career. He was saying that all the blood, sweat and tears that he did, you didn't have to go through all of that. Just get on a different path and and be successful In something
1: else. Yeah, he did that for you. Well, you mentioned about being tough to break from your father's identity and create your own. I actually, I'm ashamed of this now, Rod, but I actually, I remember I was 13 or 14 years old going to a select baseball trial and I went to my dad before he got in the truck and I said, dad, I don't want you to come. And he was like, what do you mean you don't want me to come? I want mom to take me. And I didn't want to make the team because of him. Did you ever run into situations where you were uncertain if you truly own the accomplishment or is that unique to me? No. So
2: that's where I kind of said earlier, I think we'll probably share this similar memory Then, now that you're bringing it up. The teenage years was interesting because my name, maybe like yours, my name from 13 to kind of 18 was Roderick Newhouse, comma, son of former Dallas Cowboy Robert Newhouse. And that was your whole name and you were trying to find yourself to be your own self. So I understand what you mean by it's not that you didn't want your dad to show up. You kind of just wanted to do it on your own merit and not feel like it was he had a big influence in what you were doing. And I feel maybe like you, like me, as you got older, you realized that no people actually respected your father and now your clay. And I'm Rod, and we've dropped the comma, son of son of former, blah, blah, blah. And that's actually weird because I kind of missed that a little bit. People will come up to me and say, are you related to any relation? I'm like, yeah.
1: Well, for me, it was a lack of confidence. Now that I'm older, embraced it, it sounds like you have, I was... I wasn't confident and you know it is hard to know whether or not you make the team when the people that are deciding it want to talk to your dad the entire tryout. but looking back it was just a lack of confidence it was going through those teenage years and here's the last question and then we'll move on to why I brought you on did you ever have any negative external experiences related to your father and I'll tell you what I mean nothing pissed my dad off more than when someone brought him up in an effort to tear down one of his boys. And it happened growing up. So anytime we walked into Dishfolk, the University of Texas, when I was at Rice, I would hear it from the faithful about my dad, which I kind of expected. But the first time I can remember this, I was playing his sophomore, junior year, playing on the varsity baseball team, establishing myself as a good ball player, And I stepped into the box at Round Rock McNeil High School. And I can remember one of the—I'm assuming a parent, but someone—a man in his 40s or 50s—behind me, standing on the fence, and I put my right foot in the batter's box, and he says, "You're not half the player your dad was." Yells that at, and I'll never forget it. I remember it like it was yesterday. The first pitch was a hanging curveball, and I got out in front. I was—it wasn't a great swing, but I got the barrel on it to left, and I thought I got it. And I start running down first into a home run trot, and I'm in my mind, what. F word. What am I going to say to the guy <laughs> when I crossed home plate? And I think someone was looking out for me because I'm not making this up. The left fielder literally jumps up the wall, robs the home run, and brings it back. And I kind of slunk back to the dugout. But I- I'm glad he did it in hindsight because I, I don't know what I would have said to this guy, this <laughs> man, this 50-year-old man who yelled that at me as a 17-year-old kid. But I was just curious, did you ever run into any of that?
2: Um, I would say um, I, I didn't I can't say that I had an experience like that coming up because I played soccer, which my dad no- didn't play, so no one could compare me to him on the soccer field. And I was kinda known as this enforcer on the soccer field, so I carried a different reputation that was my own but was also my dad's reputation because he was a blue collar enforcer type of running back. Um, at the same time though, if you shifted to football, I probably never heard it because football and baseball you just You're not as close to the fans as you would, you know, you would be. So I would probably have never heard it if anyone ever said that anyway.
1: And I'll say this. I never heard it from another player. I heard it from coaches and parents. And when, when at the University of Texas, I would turn around and it would be a 50 year old man screaming at the top of his lungs about my dad. It was never a frat boy. It was never a player. It was men, which I definitely found odd, but, Thanks for doing that with me, man. I thought those stories would be fun. And we had some parallels there. So I brought you on to talk about your expertise in finance, specifically on advising young athletes that come into significant sums of money. And before we get there, I came across on your website a phrase that I want you to tell me what it means because I love it. What does turn success into significance mean for you?
2: Thank you. Uh, great question. So success to significance is the big tagline, because what i realized and the way I like to come about it is you, any individual that we're working with is already successful. We had nothing to do with that success. It's now about what do you want to do with that success and make yourself a significant person in life, society, to your children, to your family? What's that significance mean to you? And that's the part that makes it kind of mushroom to whatever it is, because someone wants to be a nonprofit, someone wants to be a great mother, someone wants to be a great father, someone just wants to give back to society. Some people want to make a lot of money. So the successful part of it, I mean the, the significant part is that portion of it. How significant will you be back to
1: community? And it's unique to each individual.
2: Absolutely. It's it's nothing that you can put on anyone. That success is also unique to everyone as well. So the significance has to be unique as well.
1: So you advise young athletes, among other individuals, but young athletes is our focus today. And what I want to do, Rod, is break this into two different parts. We'll start with challenges that young athletes face. And then part two, we'll, we'll go into challenges you face as an advisor. And there may be some overlap there, but I want to start with putting yourself in their shoes It's difficult for anyone, regardless of your upbringing, to come into millions of dollars at, say, 21 years of age. Speak a bit about the challenges associated with becoming a multimillionaire overnight at a young age.
2: Coming for money or not coming for money, I think it's somewhat the same issue, and that is just lack of preparedness and understanding of how the real world works. What I've noticed with today's young athlete, unfortunately, and maybe it was for us as well, no one's really being taught the basics of financial literacy in college, in high school, and all of a sudden now they get you know money at 21, 22 years old, and they're expected to be an expert at it. And I tell people this all the time, and I'm quite serious. I'm 46 years old. If you gave me a million dollars today at 46 years old, I would do something stupid with it that I probably shouldn't do. Not the same that I do as I do at 21, but I still do something that I probably don't need to do or shouldn't do at 46. So to tell that, to give that money to someone at 21, 22 years old, without the understanding of what's a W-2, what's a 1099, what's a 1040, what's a credit score mean, what's inflation, they don't understand the basics to even understand how to make that money work for themselves.
1: I'm glad you brought up that point. I was speaking with a college coach. And I actually suggested to him to allow me to come in with a with a real estate deck, with an offering memorandum. Let me walk through why an IRR is important, why weighted average cost of capital is important, because I can remember going through these topics in finance courses in college. And as you said, I was just focused on getting the grade and moving on. I didn't understand real-world application, much less understand, you know, what's an average market return? What can I expect from the S&P over 30 years? What kind of fee should I be paying? And I'm totally on board with that.
2: Yes, I think, I think to your point, it's, it's a bigger, bigger issue. It's an academic issue that the academic institutions or the, the way we're learning is kind of broken. It needs to change. It needs to be updated to where it's not so linear in its thought. You know, one plus one is two, two plus two is four. I've often told people 10 minus five is e- equals five and two plus three equals five. 25 minus 20 is five. So there's many different ways now that we need to get to the same spot and we need to speak the language that young people are speaking, older people are learning, and not make it so linear in its process.
1: Have you found that the social media culture, the American culture that rewards or even worships ostentation and self-promotion is making your job more difficult?
2: What I've often said was, As I get older each and every year, the issue is the rookie stays the same age. And so it's kind of the analogy I've used is, will you ever truly eradicate teenage pregnancy? The answer is no, because you'll always have teenagers. And so I think what happens is it evolves and it changes and it just kind of develops into a unique way to speak to everyone. Still the same thing. We don't know what we don't know at 21 years old. We just don't. So whether you're a social media person, whether that's in or out, we just now need to kind of pull, I think, that education down into those levels because the kids are getting smarter and getting exposed to things sooner than we did when we were at that stage in college.
1: It's always in your face. And I I think particularly for an athlete who competes every day on the field, you start to compete in investing and you hear so-and-so made you know a thousand percent return on AMC or Bitcoin or you know whatever it is. And then all of a sudden you want to compete on the same level. And it may be a well-intentioned desire to invest. You think you're investing and then you're on the other end fighting against that and say, hey, wait, so-and-so did make that money on GameStop. And I would consider myself a professional investor, an intelligent investor, but I'm seeing people make money on GameStop and AMC and having to check my emotion out the door and say, Clay, you don't want to buy Bitcoin at (laughs) 60,000.
2: That is a very good point. That is something that I think I do truly struggle. If you want to say the social media influence, that probably is one piece of it that really it has come to fruition is it's just faster and more in your face now. For that person who says, I heard about AMC. I use an old analogy that someone gave me one time and said, uh, it was talking about being in New York and looking for an apartment. And then someone said, yeah, man, I was looking. Um, I heard about this apartment that was for for rent in New York City. And the comment is, what do you mean you heard about it? If You heard about it. It's too late. And that's the same analogy with the whole AMC and these other things is when people hear about them in today's market and society, it's still already too late. And they don't understand that. And that's my big challenge with the athletes is, well, my buddy got 25% return on this real estate deal he did. Well, not really, but that's just what someone told him that he got. And that's not real. My little other problem that I run into is you being a real estate investor, me being in that space as well, is everybody in real estate that I know tells people that financials don't do those because you lose all your money in real estate. And everybody in the financials I know will tell people don't put all your money in real estate because you lose all your money in real estate. And I say, you have to learn how to put both together to make yourself become wealthy and influential. It's not just a one trick pony.
1: One of the things I want to get into, because I've said this to people sometime, I remember watching ESPN's 30 for 30 broke. And when you see someone lose 50, a hundred million dollars, that's hard to fathom. But when you see someone go through five or six million dollars, to me, it makes perfect sense. And I'll tell you why is. You feel wealthy because you are wealthy if you're making a million dollars a year over five years. That's an enormous sum of money, but it's extremely difficult to reconcile that fact, that realization with hard truths about longevity and earning potential when you leave the sport and financial discipline. How do you reconcile those two things and say, yes, you are a wealthy individual? But we need to face some hard truth if your career ends in three, four five years and you end up with four or five million dollars.
2: That's still a challenge because people know this, but you're an athlete. I was an athlete and we understand this. Our mindset is not focused on if we get hurt. When we get hurt, we just don't want to hear it. We don't think about it. Now that we're older, we want to, you know, we want to talk about that. We have to also remember when we were there. There's no way you could tell me I was going to get hurt. I, I mean, I know it's kind of inherently in there, but I'm a warrior. I'm a fighter. I'm a survivor and we push through it. So what I found though, um, the hardest thing is transitioning from playing to not playing because what you've done is you've been so passionate about this sport your whole life. Once the money's gone, you don't know what else to be passionate about. You don't know what else pays you. I mean, professional sports is nothing more than a high paid part time job. And that's what I try to bring is that truth and reality to the forefront and try to be an example and a role model of someone who's been through that and has done all these other things to try to find his way.
1: That brings up maybe my next point here, delayed gratification. I want to, and this will transition into maybe your challenges. An athlete is getting immediate feedback day in, day out which is what I loved about sports, and I think athletes thrive on that, whether it's positive or negative feedback. In investing, you're really throwing that all out, and that's a tough psychological feat to reconcile. You're, you may make a great investment that may do nothing for 24 months. So you're really going from immediate feedback to this delayed gratification feedback loop. How do you teach, how do you explain delayed gratification to a young person that maybe has no interest in hearing it?
2: Oh, I I love that. So I I don't know this with baseball, but how much is the average time from the time the pitcher throws the ball, the catcher catches it, throws it back, and the pitcher pitches again? How much time goes Is that about?
1: Let's say 45 seconds.
2: So every 45 seconds, you get an opportunity to swing again. Well, to your point, in real life, real estate, that's 45 days, that's 45 weeks, that's 45 months. And it is hard to reconcile that amount of time because you're right. We go to our coach and our coach says, Rod, that was horrible. You go, okay, got it. I'll fix it. Clay, need to do better. Got it. I'll fix it. When you can't really see it and touch it, I don't know that that's something you can really teach someone. They just have to eventually learn. And all you can do is really just keep telling them over and over. Uh, Like I said, with swimming, there's an academic principle to swimming. You can learn about buoyancy and water and all these different attributes all day long when it comes to swimming. But how do you learn how to swim? You have to get in the water and taste it and learn it. And I don't know that I have the answer to that other than I'm just constantly trying to tell someone younger in many different ways the same story so that it clicks one day.
1: Well, like you said earlier, even in our 30s and 40s, I run into people that that's really hard to teach that concept that, hey, 10% return over 30 years is a really good thing. That's That's something hard to get excited about. It's really hard to get excited about when you're an NFL athlete making $2 million a year. And that's why I asked you. It has to be so hard because that's a concept that I think people in their 60s and 70s struggle with. Transition into advising young, wealthy athletes. When you first meet a young athlete, just signed a lucrative contract, where do you start? What did your first meeting look like? What does your first couple of weeks with that athlete look like?
2: A simple acronym I've used is BSI: Budget, Save, Invest. We have to put the budget in place first. We have to have some sense of wrapping our hand around what we have. Whether that takes six months, whether that takes twelve months, we just have to understand how the money's coming in and out. A lot of these kids think that they want to invest. A lot of my—I mean, I just met with a what I would call a, a non-athlete client yesterday, who was talking about, "All right, I'm making money in real estate, and I'm about to get a big commission. What should I invest in?" I don't know. Like, hold on a second. Let's get a budget together so we know what your cash flow looks like. Because if you don't budget, you can't save. And if you don't save, you can't invest. So for an athlete, I like to try to tell them, let's get your budget set and maybe try to get about a year's worth of salary in place before we focus on investing in anything. Because if that player gets cut, what's going to happen? What's that player going to want to do? They're going to want to try again in a year. So I want you to have enough cash flow built up to pursue your passion for at least one more chance. And if you run out of all your money, then so be it.
1: Yeah, I was getting into kind of more complex concepts like IRR. And you have to I'm glad you broke it down that way because you've got to start with, hey, let's just save. forget (laughs) about talking about how much of your saved assets can go towards risky returns and how much can go through dumping into an index fund. On your website, you have said you advise your clients on wealth management, financial management, and lifestyle management. Which of the three is most difficult? Lifestyle
2: management. They're they're equally different, but I would say lifestyle management because the illustration I like to use is like taking a funnel. And we'll take the big end of the funnel and we'll take the small end. Now, let's put the big end on the bottom and the small end on top. What happens is whether that's $5,000 a year, $50,000 a year, or $5 million a year, we tend to squeeze all that money into the top end of the funnel. The bottom side of it is trying to tell mom she can't have this. I want to go on this vacation. I want to do that. All this stuff kind of flows out of the bottom and it's very hard to maintain that lifestyle. But if we just take the funnel and now we put the open end of the bigger funnel side on the top and the small on the bottom, now we're able to put all this investment income and saving income and our work income in the top and we can control that flow coming out of the bottom side. And that is where it's very easy to say that in in the concept and theory, but very hard to maintain because you don't want to tell someone no when everyone knows what you make. And I always tell people, use me as the no guy at the end of the day. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it's hard to, it's hard for someone to tell the advisor that, well, he told me no, but I couldn't get your money. Oh, okay. You can't get his, his or her money. And I tell parents this all the time too, that mom, dad, we're having this conversation in front of your son or daughter, but if you as the parent call me and ask me for $2, I'm going to tell you to tell your son to tell me to give you $2. I'm not going to do it. And I have kids like that. I mean, I have a mother who asked her son for $3,000 and he wanted to do it, but he was, he called me later and was like, I don't know how to tell
1: her no. That's insanely difficult. It, what I'm hearing is you may be a financial advisor, but much of your time has nothing to do with finances. How to speak to your mother, your father, Oh God, that has to be the most difficult part of your job. So you become almost a counselor at that point. You do. It's
2: never hard. I mean, respectfully, I'll say this right now: it's not hard for you and I for me to say, um, "Hey Clay, man, can you can you give me five thousand dollars?" I you know I need to borrow five thousand dollars. It's it's not hard to say no to a stranger, right? But let's put this in more context. If you and I went to rice together at the same time, and I'm your buddy, and I wound up picking you up one night in a place that you shouldn't have been or I went to pick you up from someone's house. and I did you a huge solid favor where I gave you a couple of dollars back in the day. You feel naturally indebted to me. So when I come and ask you for five thousand dollars, you're like. I mean, I just signed a million dollar contract. I mean, I but the services that I did for you was not five thousand dollars worth of services. I just did it because it was $20 in gas and, you know, in in college time. So to come and ask you for $50,000 for an igloo stand in Jamaica, that's going to be a great investment. You want to tell me not only no, but heck no. But how do you do that? That's where I serve that role. And it does turn into counseling and lifestyle management. The money is easy because we can plan for that. We can do all that. The stock market's going up. It's going up. If it's going down, we make adjustments, no big deal. But it's all the ancillary stuff. That's the
1: hard stuff. Yeah, that's what I'm hearing is that the financial part is easy. Like you said, if you've got a 30 year time horizon, I'm gonna put this in the S&P index fund and we're gonna watch it grow. You know, beating the market is not the problem. It's being an emotional support, being a, a counselor at times, which I never even really thought about when I was preparing for this. My next question, In this, you may totally feel different than me, But it makes me a bit sick to my stomach, and I've actually had a conversation with my parents about this, when I hear someone say, well, so-and-so handles that for me, so I don't think about it. I believe it's important for all investors to at least have a baseline understanding of what your goals are, what your time horizon is, what an average market return is, what fees you're paying, what a risk-adjusted return is, How much weight do you put on education and financial literacy? Are you passionate about that? Are you saying, well, Clay, in my case, it's better sometimes if they let me handle it?
2: One thousand percent. My whole focus is financial literacy. If you don't understand the basics, we can't get anywhere. I'm not here for someone to just let me take over and tell them what to do. I'm the guy that wants to teach you how to fish, not give you fish for the day. That's why a lot of my relationships work out really, really well. because That's what I'm trying to do is eventually the light bulb goes off and guys go, Rod, now I understand why you told me that. This makes a lot of sense. So we're in a position to where we can grow and do other things together. And we've now built a relationship, not just a transaction.
1: So in my research, I know of you that discipline and consistency are pillars of your message, they're pillars of your lifestyle, and I couldn't agree more. I've told people many times, motivation doesn't always show up. Discipline always shows up. Why are these traits so important to you and your life and your business and your message to people?
2: So, what my influencers taught me and told me. You know, my father was all about discipline. My surrogate fathers, his teammates were about discipline. His mentor, Tom Landry, his coach, was about discipline. And, you know, my high school coach was a big influencer about discipline. So discipline kind of creates this whole sense of succeeding or failing on purpose. You're doing something intentionally. And I've talked about that with people is don't just kind of wing it or put half effort into it. If you're going to do something, do it a 100 percent and stay with it. My discipline that I can say with people, and I tell them all the time, I'm not trying to brag or nowhere near bragging when I say any stuff. But in 1994, I started just out of a whim. I didn't want to start. I don't want to drink sodas anymore, carbonated beverages. And I've not had a carbonated beverage since 1994. And I've never drank. And so it's kind of starting something a long time ago to be able to say, look, what I was able to put the tracks in, put the foundations down and see a goal all the way to its end. And a lot of people tell you, my family included, I don't promise anyone anything. I either will or I won't. There's no promise. Yeah.
1: My coach at Rice used to say, don't try. either do it or you don't. I don't want you to try, do it or don't. But I often tell people similar things that it's important to do things you don't wanna do. And if you continue to force yourself to do those things you don't wanna to do to make yourself uncomfortable, to struggle, I even use the word suffer. I think it's important to suffer physically. And I think you and I share that. We like to get out and suffer with physical endeavors. But you keep doing that and it becomes part of who you are. It becomes part of your journey is getting up, doing things that are difficult. And then all of a sudden, they don't come, they're don't they not that difficult anymore. I think it's a great it's just
2: work. I, I had someone tell me one time, you know, I've been married 16 years, and they said, you know, marriage is hard. And I kind of looked at them like, no, it's not. It's just work. And so, if you don't mind working, marriage is not hard. And they kind of looked at me like, "No, but what about this?" I'm like, you, "You're not hearing me. Just put in the work, and everything will work itself out." It's and it's
1: about perception. And be re- you said perception. Be realistic about the scope. It may be hard, whatever your endeavor is—marriage, working out, studying, reading—it may be hard for a period of time, but it won't be hard for long. You know, getting up and going to the gym every single day. What I tell people if they've never worked out before, it's going to suck for three to six months every single day. You're not going to want to go. Be realistic about it. Don't tell yourself you're going to love it in a week because you're going to give up. Be realistic about that scope that it's going to suck, but I'm going to do it. And then eventually it becomes part of who you are.
2: That's the big thing that I learned from as you said that, it made me think about my dad. He was like, you know, you can do anything you want to do. He said, you could be a doctor. You could be a lawyer. You could be this. And I'll be honest, man. I mean, coming up, there were some people and influences around me that made me think that things were nerve. I was scared. I was nervous. Like maybe I can't do that because someone else said it was hard. Someone else said that, oh man, you don't want to do that. And then as I got older, you know, I went to law school later in life because everyone told me that law school was hard. And I looked around like, man, I should have done this a long time ago. This wasn't that hard. You know, real estate, oh man, it's hard. I got my real estate license and was like, no, it's not. So those are the things that I think if we just put in time and that's what has allowed me to accomplish the things I've accomplished because I've just put in the work because I've been here. And I look back and it's like, wow, that that allowed me to get three you know, majors from Rice University. That allowed me to, you know, get a law degree and a real estate license and all these other things that I have just because I put in the top.
1: I'm going to wrap up with just one more question or two, and then I'll let you get out of here. You strike me as an extremely confident person. What I want to know is, what are you not confident about? Where do you struggle? Where do you want to improve? What gives you anxiety? And mental models do you use to overcome those things?
2: So, a uh, great question. I've, I've said this before. Wisdom is not about what you know. Wisdom is knowing what you don't know. And I feel like I'm at that stage in life of where I just don't want to let my family down. If there's a fear of anything, it's letting my family down. So I'm driven by accomplishment so that it doesn't fall into an area of failure, of complete catastrophe. And that's probably if you want to say I'm fearful of anything, I'm most fearful of that. When my father told me one day that he played 12 years for the Dallas Cowboys and he was scared every day, I didn't understand that. What he was saying is that he was scared every day that someone was going to take his job that motivated him to be better every single day so that no one would take his job. And that's what his little Achilles heel was. That was his kryptonite.
1: It sounds like your father was a powerful man because... And not in the physical sense, because a lot of men wouldn't share that, wouldn't share that they were scared. And I think there's a lot of power in that, for sure. And it sets you up to succeed.
2: And I think that's what I'm trying to say as well. I mean, uh, someone asked me once, you know, what's your biggest failure in a in a business setting? And it was like it was an interview. And I said, I haven't failed. I just haven't finished it yet. <laughs> and I was just kind of what I was trying to say to him was, my mindset is not focused on failure because i admit only successful people fail, but you have to continue to fail to get to the success. So let's not focus on the failure. Let's get to the success. And that's why I say I haven't finished yet.
1: I think it's interesting you went there. I didn't plan to go here, but I used to be adamant about calling things failures, that if you failed and you call it a setback or you said it was an undesired outcome You were being weak and you're trying to protect your ego or you're trying to protect something. And then I've said this before on the podcast. I always knew that my thoughts were important and my actions were important, but it took me a long time, well into my 30s to realize that the words I was using to describe those actions were important and that an undesired outcome is not necessarily a failure if the effort was there, if the work was there. And I should be careful how I frame those things, which it sounds a little bit about what you're doing and saying, "Wait a second, that's not a failure for me. I busted my tail, I accomplished all these things, and you're taking the time to acknowledge that accomplishment, which is something took me 35 years to learn to be completely honest.
2: Going back to what we said earlier, you can, we can learn about swimming, but we've got to get in the water to get wet to learn how to swim. And if at 21 years old, a young person just doesn't understand finances, no different than we didn't understand what we were saying. Coming up, but we understand it now. You, I'll, I'll say this little funny as well, just to kind of wrap up. It's like, uh, I think coach Eddie Robinson said this. If you do it once, it's stealing. If you do it twice, it's research. And if you do it a third time, it's your, own, it's your own. So what he was trying to say was in football, you know, if you take something from someone, don't be intentional in trying to take something from someone just to take it. But turn that into research, turn whatever you're watching and following and gaining from someone, turning it into research to learn from and then take that research and make it your own. And that's what we're all trying to do each and every day. I mean, like they said, the circle, the wheel was invented a long time ago, but it has had many different iterations over time. So no one's done anything different. They've just advanced what's already been there. So they stole something, they researched it, and they sold it as BF Good Rich Times.
1: Well, Rod, I can't thank you enough for joining me, man. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for coming on.
2: I appreciate it. Anytime and all the best to you. And thank you for all. You can reach us anytime at 44management.com or give us a call at 469-438-5883 or Instagram 44management or Twitter 44management.
1: And Rod, I'll make sure and add those to the show notes, add those to our social media for sure. Thank you, man. We'll talk to you soon.